Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. Uh, where we're headed today, I want to talk to you uh, for a little bit, share some thoughts, and give some context uh, from the Word of God in regards to what we're doing this morning. Uh, this is, of course, a what we call a child dedication service. Uh, we're dedicating a number of children to the Lord. You know, years ago, we used to call it baby dedication. Um, and, but then some people said, look, we've only just recently uh, come into the house and we've got children that are seven, eight, nine years old. Can they be dedicated as well? We say, absolutely. Bring them all in and we will dedicate them as well. So we're now doing a child dedication service. Uh, I want to turn to the scriptures, as I said, to give some context to what we're doing. Um, and then uh, uh, in, in, uh, in a l- after the, the, the message that I want to share, uh, I will be inviting the parents to get their children from the respective children's areas and bring them over here. I'll be asking you to stand uh, in the front here, and then together we're going to dedicate your children to the Lord. Um, We're going to pray over them, and we also pray over uh, the the family as well. So let me just uh, turn to the Scriptures this morning. Uh, I want to read from the book of Malachi. It's the first Scripture. and uh, then a, a few other scriptures to kind of, as I said, explain what we're really doing here this morning. This is not some cultural practice. This is a biblical practice. Uh, we want to lay that background. And uh, let me just say that uh, the focus is absolutely on dedicating children to the Lord, and the focus is also on families. All right? Uh, and I'm stating the obvious now, but God places children in families. Now, schools are important kindergartens are important, and all of these other places, universities, they're all important, they're all part of the journey, but God doesn't place children in schools, He places them in families, all right, and uh, the family is God's ordained seedbed from which children are raised, Uh, that's God's intention, and you know, the institution of marriage is God's ordained framework around which families and children can prosper and thrive. And God certainly has a plan for every family to prosper and to thrive and to do well. And I want to bring some understanding today as to how we can lay a hold of that in a better kind of a way. And uh, I'm reading from Malachi chapter 2 and in verse 15. And it's in the outline uh, that you have in your hand. And it's also on the screen behind me. It says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And so God is speaking into a kind of a family situation here. He uses, he uses marriage terms, husband, wife. Um, and we understand from the Scriptures that a husband and a wife team They are the basic biblical family unit. And I say that because sometimes uh, you get a couple and and they say, oh, we're we're trying to have a family. And of course, uh, according to scriptures, you're already a family. If you're married and together, you're already a family. You see, your children are not the family. Your children are an extension of your family. And so we have a husband and a wife team that together you make up the basic uh, family unit, and then children come into your family uh, to, uh, as an addition to the family. 
And as the Bible says here in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, it says, what does God want? And he emphatically states that God wants godly children being raised from our families. All right, that's what he says. He says, what does he want? Godly children from your union. Now, of course, at this point, I need to uh, emphatically state that uh, there are many, many solo parents uh, who are doing a fantastic job in raising their children. Um, but it's not rocket science for us to understand that that's uh, the best that they're able to do, but, but two are better than one. Um, and, uh, and yet, as I said, you know, many solo parents are doing a fantastic job. You know, I was reminded of a term that they use in the aviation industry. They call it the solo flight. Uh, when a, a person is instructed on how to fly an aeroplane, they've got the instructor with them. And at a certain point, when they're skilled enough, you know, they go on and they do a solo flight where there's one pilot flying one plane, uh, and it's an achievement. Uh, and I kind of thought about that. You know, that's all wonderful. Uh, but, you know, if anything went wrong uh, with that pilot, there is no backup. All right? And so that's why in terms of families, God has intended that there be a backup. Um, and in that respect, two are better than one. But if you are a solo parent here today, we need you to know that we love you. We are for you. Uh, I do need to state the biblical ideal, and, but then everybody is included. And God wants to exclude nobody. Uh, God has a place in his kingdom for everybody. And God wants to bless everybody's efforts in raising children um, in a to become what the Word of God here says, uh, to become godly children. Psalm 127. And by the way, some of you, you've been part of these services before. We do come around the same truths again and again. Uh, so you're familiar with some of these scriptures and with some of these thoughts. But uh, it's always good to just refresh our thinking uh, in this area. Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. And so kind of God thinks that, you know, we, we, we should have our quiver full. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, some people only got one or two arrows in their quiver, and others got their quiver full, whatever that means. But look, whatever uh, you have determined in terms of the number of children, God's okay with that. But it says here, the man who's got his quiver full of them, he's joyful. He says, they will not be defeated when they fight the enemies at the gate. Now, let me just break that down a little and reaffirm um, the children are a gift from the Lord. Sometimes, uh, and I've got four children, they're all adults now, and they've got children of their own. But, you know, when you've got a lot of things going on in a busy home, it's like, gosh, are they really a blessing? You know, like, gosh, I'm beginning to wonder. But children are a gift, and children are a blessing. Children are a reward, all right? It's good to remind ourselves of these things, and then that's always a good starting point in dealing uh, with our children. They're not your enemies, all right? They're a blessing from the Lord. And... Uh, you know, children are not an accident of nature, nor are they the sum total of evolution. God creates children, and He gives children to parents as a gift and as a reward. And then here the Bible likens children to arrows in the hands of a warrior. And this is Old Testament language uh, where, you know, the preferred uh, choice of weapon in those days was bow and arrow. And uh, it speaks there about... about uh, warriors that used to make great effort in, uh, 
in choosing arrows and uh, sharpening the arrows and preparing them so that they're able to put them into the quiver and when needed, bring them out and shoot them forth. Um, and so parents, we make great effort and, uh, and we make, we make f the best effort that we can uh, in shaping the character and personality of our children and sharpening their talents and their abilities. Because the day will come, and let me speak to young parents, that day will come sooner than you think where they're shot forth when they leave you home uh, and then they're out there. They're on their own flight. So you can no longer control. Once that arrow has left the bow, uh, and that bow is your home, once that arrow has left, uh, you cannot control where that arrow goes. Uh, now, of course, uh, we, that's not the last that we see of our children. <laughs> you know, we, we, we're still there. Uh, we still encourage them. We, we still advise them. Uh, but the bulk of the work is done when your children are small and as they're growing up to shape their character and their personality. And uh, let me just say that some of the children's behavior in terms of their character, some of these, the things that they do or not do is not always a character issue. Sometimes it's a personality issue. And everybody understands uh, uh, children are not all the same. You know, within six months to a year, you realize that there's a unique personality there. And that personality also needs to be shaped. It needs to be honed. It needs to be sharpened uh, to make sure that children get the best chance when they are shot forth. And uh, as it says here, you know, it says they will not def be defeated when they, when they fight the enemies at the city gate. You know, again, this is Old Testament language um, where, you know, fighting enemies at the city gate means conducting business. And how do you know that the commercial world, the real world, is somewhat of a fight? You know, you've got to get out there. You've got to get yourself established and helping to get your children established from the time that they leave education to get into the marketplace to get a job and so forth. And uh, fighting uh, enemies at the city gate means conducting business in the city and joining the ranks of leaders in society. Um, you know, in ancient times, the movers and the shakers of society, they would meet at the city gate, and they would conduct business there. Uh, they would exert their influence in government, in the community, and in the marketplace. And our children, God wants our children to be raised, that they can become leaders and positive influencers in society. And the focus there is positive. All right, every leader exerts an influence, but God wants a positive uh, influence. And God actually, from Christian people, He wants a biblical influence exerted on society. Uh, that is God's plan. So how is that achieved? Uh, what can we do specifically today towards that outcome? Um, I want to th share three points uh, with you. That The first one is that we dedicate children to the Lord and give God access into their lives. And I want to discuss that in more detail a little bit later on, all right? We dedicate the children to the Lord to give God an open door into the lives of our children. And secondly, we train them in matters of obedience, of righteousness, and of morality. Um, and the sequence of those three words is specifically placed in this way, obedience, righteousness, and morality. 
You know, before children understand morality and righteousness, we train them to obey, all right, to obey authority. First and foremost, parental authority. Uh, and if we can train them to obey parental authority, it'll be no trouble for them to accept authority in the school, authority in society, authority of government, and so forth. Uh, it all starts in the home. That's why we said that the home, the family, is the seedbed where children are raised up and trained and equipped. And then later on, when righteousness is established in their lives and, you know, doing things right uh, rather than doing things any old way and morality, all of that will come. Uh, and uh, here in Proverbs 22, we have a, uh, a scripture there in verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Um, and so what does that mean? Well, we don't let the children grow up any old way and then try to influence them when they're adults. It's a bit too late at that point, all right? And uh, many of us parents could point back to some areas in our childhood where our parents let us get away with things that now we wished they hadn't got it let us get away with it, because once a habit is there, it's harder to break a habit when you're an adult than what it is to break the habit in a child and to shape them. You know, when you uh, plant a tree, um, and when it's just a little sapling, uh, and it leans the wrong way, you can put a couple of stakes on the side and put a a tie around it and straighten that tree out uh, because it's only little. The little tree is still soft and supple, uh, but try to straighten a tree that's been standing for 50 years. You, you, it's, it's just, you know, you're wasting your time. So, so when do we try to straighten out our children? It's when they're young. Um, and don't leave it until they're three years old, five years old. We start early, all right? It's all age-appropriate. Um, because I'm just telling you uh, what you already know. I'm just reminding you of things uh, that you already know and understand. You know, in the message translation of the same verse here, Proverbs 22, verse 6, uh, this is a modern translation. It says, point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. And that kind of brings me back uh, to that scripture that we read before, where it says, the children are like arrows in a warrior's hand. Um, and, you know, the warrior takes his bow, he brings an arrow out of his quiver, puts that arrow into the bow, and then he pulls the string back, and then he shoots it forth. Now, if he wants the arrow to go in this direction, he's not going to point the arrow in this direction, all right? Whichever uh, direction that the arrow goes, provided that the arrow is straight, it'll do exactly that. Uh, it'll carry on in that flight path. Now, when I grew up, my brother and I, uh, we had bow and arrow. We didn't have to hunt food for ourselves. We were just sort of just playing around. You know, our equipment wasn't, uh, you know, in, in any way, shape, or form, uh, you know, good enough to do any hunting with, but we kind of mucked around. Um, and, uh, you know, we played cowboys and Indians. Um, and young people say, what's that? Cowboys and Indians is the game that you, your grandparents used to play, all right, bow and arrow. And we would go out, and uh, we found that particularly in springtime that willow uh, branches were quite flexible, uh, and actually willow uh, sticks uh, to get sort of straight 
pieces of wood that we could shape them into arrows. And we always realized if we pick a crooked stick and we can't straighten it out, you can point that arrow in this direction and it'll act like a boomerang. It'll just go around in this direction. So the point is this, parents, that God's given us a mandate to straighten out our children. Can I say that? (laughs) All right. And people say, well, there's nothing wrong with children. Well, you know, one thing that I discovered after having brought up four children and watched some of your children, (laughs) okay, that you don't need to teach uh, children to disobey. They will do that automatically. All right. You need to teach your children to obey. And you need to put something into their heart in terms of uh, understanding of right and wrong and submitting and yielding to authority. And as I say, and that's where the effort comes in, all right? We call it parenting. That's where the effort is. We do more than just feed them and clothe them and send them off to school or to Sunday school for that matter. We make every effort to teach our children. So provided the arrow is straight, as we've said, uh, it will continue in the flight path in which it has started in and ultimately hit the target. So again, I say uh, a parent's task is to straighten out any crookedness in their children and remove all the lumps and bumps before they are shot forth. And this is, uh, I remember, we went down there with, a, with some knives uh, to the creek uh, where we had willow growing and hazelnut branches would work quite well as well. And then uh, we pick a good straight one, uh, we cut it off, we sharpen the tip, and then we go along with the blade. And if there was little lumps, little you know, bits of growth, they would just you know, shave all of that away. And that became the best arrows that we had the most success with. Now, we never killed anything. Uh, but, you know, we nearly, we nearly took out each other's eyes. You know, my brother and I, like, oh, man, if I think back now, it's how our parents let us do what we did. But anyway, we're, we're still alive today, and, uh, and all is well. Parents, um, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Parents, do not treat your children in such a way to make them angry. Instead, bring them up with Christian discipline and instruction. So bring them up with Christian discipline. Um, And God is speaking to believers here. God is speaking to Christian folk. He says, bring them up with Christian discipline and instruction. And of course, giving children a Christian upbringing by training and instructing them according to God's Word means that they will become well-adjusted adults, morally upright, knowing right from wrong, as well as having the strength and the discipline to choose what's right, all right? It's one thing to know the difference between right and wrong, but it's having the fortitude and the the strength to choose what's right. And this is what God is speaking to us about here. And then the third point, to move along from there, it speaks about the need for our children to be born again. Um, And what does that mean? Well, the ultimate goal of a Christian upbringing is that children come to Jesus Christ and accept Him as their own personal Lord and Savior. And very young children have not much comprehension of what Lord and Savior means, but we let them know that Jesus wants to be their friend. All right? And He does. Uh, Jesus wants to help them uh, with their challenges. 
you know, challenges and problems are, are not just specific and unique to adults. Children got challenges as well, and God wants to help them. Uh, and so that whole area of Christian upbringing, I remember specifically, um, you know, our home where I grew up, uh, mom and dad were busy, um, and, um, and I remember when we got up in the morning, we got ready uh, to go to school. We had to walk to school. Uh, we were driven to school. That was good exercise for us. Um, took about 15, 20 minutes to walk to school up a steep hill. And, but before we were allowed to get out the house, our grandmother would make us sit down. Uh, and in the early days, she put us on our knees and then later on on a chair next to us. And we had to pray before we left the home. Um, and of course, growing up in a Catholic family, uh, going out the door, there was a crucifix uh, a little one on the wall with a little bowl with holy water in there. Uh, and for those of you that come from the Catholic tradition, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when we prayed, we had to look at that crucifix there. All right, that was the instructions. And while some of that may be neither here nor there in terms of the specific uh, where you look, but it's all about shaping uh, people's hearts and instilling in them a heart for God, a heart for an authority that is higher than any of us. Um, and learning to call on the name of the Lord is very powerful. Um, and the sooner you start with your children, the better it is. Um, because uh, we find that sometimes, uh, let me just back up a little bit here. Research has been done in regards to what age people surrender their life to Jesus Christ and become you know, get converted, become what we call Christians. Not just being Christianized, but become Christians. Not just have a Christian worldview, but actually become born again. It's been discovered that most Christians today uh, would have been saved during their childhood, uh, in their early teens. And then as they did research in regards to how many people get born again as they go on into their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and the numbers and the percentage tends to taper off uh, at that point, which is kind of tragic. Uh, but the good news is this, that if we instill into our children uh, the need for them to have Christ in their lives, it'll set them up for all the future decades, uh, and it'll not be so hard for somebody that's lived their life by themselves, for themselves, a self-ruled life until they get to 50, 60, or for that matter, beyond. And then you have to come around to it and to bow their knee uh, before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, absolutely, um, people can get saved at any age. Uh, I was really pleased uh, when my father uh, got to the time when we knew uh, he was going to depart uh, in the not-too-distant future. I had an opportunity to get with him, to be with him. Now, he's the one that gone to, gone to church uh, with us in the early days, like, you know, like people did in those days. Um, um, and uh, though he didn't like what he saw in some of those environments, and then he kind of stayed away from there. Uh, you know, if I use the word church politics, does anybody know what I'm talking about, church politics? Sadly, it does exist. Anyway, my father fell away, and uh, if I had to describe him today, I would still call him a God-fearing man, but in my heart, I was not sure if he was thoroughly born again. 
You see, Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 3, He says, you must be born again. And by now, my father is 82 years old, going on to 83. Um, I had the opportunity to go back to my country of birth, uh, spend some weeks there uh, with my parents, including my father. And before I left, um, I really prayed, and, uh, and I picked my moment very carefully. And I said to my father, I says, I'm going to go. Sorry about that. Whew. Get a bit emotional here. And I, <clears throat> I said to him, I'm not going to see you again. He says, I'm going back to New Zealand, where I now live. That's now my home. That's where my family is. But I says, we will not see each other again on this earth, but I want to see you again. I want to see you in heaven. I says, I know I'm going there because I've fulfilled the instructions that God's given us in His Word where Jesus says, you must be born again. And I, I says, I want to make sure that you're born again as well. It's not about how many times we darken a church door and it doesn't matter what's written above the door, uh, the name of the religion or the name of the denomination or this or that or the other. Ultimately, Jesus says you must be born again. All of these other terms that we sometimes hear, whether that's, you know, Protestant, Catholic, Evangelical, Baptist, this, that, Pentecostal, these are all man-made terms. All right? And God does not want us to get confused with that. He says you must be born again. So I says, I just want to make sure that you're born again. I says, would you let me pray with you um, and pray that Jesus Christ is thoroughly coming to your heart and that you're thoroughly born again? And he just humbly uh, said, yes, he would. And so I had the opportunity to pray with my father. And uh, I was very relieved from that moment, leaving, uh, knowing I wasn't going to see him again on this earth, but I know I will see him again in heaven because he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And so let me encourage everybody here today, no matter how old you are or how young you are, uh, whether you're a parent or whether you're not a parent, Jesus says you must be born again. And so to continue on then with that thought that uh, we invite children or we encourage children to invite Jesus Christ to come into their own hearts, even at a young age, uh, when they come to an age of understanding. And somehow, the pattern is this, uh, that we dedicate children to the Lord, particularly young children, and then we give them Christian instruction and training. We teach them the Word of God. And for those of you that have children uh, in our children's area next door, it's not just a babysitting service that our wonderful workers over there are providing. They're teaching your children the Word of God, all right, at a level where they can understand it. Uh, and that is to reinforce the teaching that you already give them uh, in your home um, because children's church uh, is intended to be supplementary uh, to what the children receive at home. And then ultimately, uh, we would expect that uh, a child... Uh, will receive Jesus Christ and to get saved. I remember on another occasion when I went back to my country of birth and I went out with uh, a couple of my nephews at that stage, 10 and 12 years old, uh, 
And we went along uh, picking mushrooms, which is a pastime of what we do there in, in autumn, you know, when there's wonderful mushrooms growing in the, in the woods, in the, in the forest. And so we went along and we came across this interesting little, little uh, what would you call it, a little chapel uh, in the middle of the forest there. I knew it was there, but I hadn't planned to go there. So anyway, we stopped, and, uh, and I thought, gosh, uh, you know, here's an opportunity uh, for me to talk to these young boys about Jesus. Now, of course, that chapel had other things in there, statues of this, that, and the other. And uh, I somehow th think that, you know, the, the most important person that people need to know uh, is Jesus Christ. So I, I sat down with them, and I forget now what Bible story that I told them. And I invited them. I says, look, I says, have you invited Jesus Christ to come into your heart? And, and if you haven't, why don't we do that now? And the interesting thing was this that the younger one said yes, but the older one said no. Uh, and I respected that decision, and I thought to myself, you know, 12 years old, it's been left a little late. That little boy would have, should have been encouraged to receive Jesus when he was three, four, five, six, seven years old by now. Uh, but, you know, sometimes people say no this week, and they say yes next week. Uh, whatever it is, we work with people, and it is their prerogative to open up their heart when they want to open up their heart. That's why you know, when they say somebody's hit the, the, you know, the Bible rammed down their throat, that typically does not work, all right? We encourage people uh, to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. So, here in John chapter 3, verse 5, and uh, verse 3 and verse 5, Jesus answered, he says, I'm telling you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. I'm telling you the truth, replied Jesus. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So being born again basically describes a conversion experience where people, uh, with the words of their own mouth, invite Jesus Christ to come into their life. They repent of their self-ruled life, and they surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And here is one thing that we need to understand, uh, if you forget everything that I say today, it's quite okay. But please remember this, that heaven is exclusively reserved for those who have become born again, whether they're adults or children, and becoming born again by receiving Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I'm just going to give you a couple more examples uh, of child dedication from the Scriptures, and then very shortly I'll be uh, asking the, child, uh, the parents to get their children, and then we will proceed with the actual dedication. 1 Samuel chapter 1 describes how a, a young boy was dedicated by his mother to the Lord. And just to give us some background understanding, they had a... Uh, a uh, a place of worship there, uh, a temple, if you like, or, a, or a, a tent of worship in those days. And Eli was the priest. Uh, and one day, Eli was there sitting in front of that place of worship, and he saw a woman coming towards him, and she kind of settled herself down before this place, uh, and she began to pray. And this woman was a godly woman. Uh, she... Uh, 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 she really prayed for God to give her a child. She somehow, uh, she was barren, unable to conceive. Uh, so she prayed, and she said this to God. She says, God, if you give me a male child, a boy, she says, I'm going to give him back to you all the days of his life. And uh, long story short, uh, 
the priest looked at her, and because she was kind of crying, and it really stirred her heart so deeply that uh, she was speaking from her heart, but only her lips were moving. And the priest looked at her, and he thought by himself, he thought, this woman is drunk. She wasn't, but he thought she was. And, she, and he said to her, woman, why don't you put away your alcohol from you? And she says, sir, she says, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my heart before the Lord. Uh, and suddenly he realized that he got it all wrong. And he says, look, may the Lord grant you the petition that you've requested from him. So she goes away, and she's now happy. Uh, in the process of time, she fell pregnant, and she didn't give, and did give uh, birth to a boy. She called his name Samuel. For those of you that know your Bible and that know the Old Testament, Samuel became a mighty, mighty man of God, a very influential leader in his generation. Well, that's the mother. Her name is Hannah. Um, and then when the boy was weaned, um, whatever age that was, she brought him to the temple there. And as she came, she said to the priest, she says, she says uh, you, she, you might remember, I'm the woman that was here a few years ago, and I pray for this child, and here is this child now, and I want to dedicate him to the Lord. Now, <laughs> in those days, uh, dedication to the Lord meant that they left the child with the priest and went home without the child. Now, can I say to every parent whose children will be dedicated today, you will take your children with you. I'm not going to look after them for the rest of their lives, all right? So don't leave them here, okay? So, but however, in that instance, uh, uh, Hannah left the child uh, with the priest, and uh, the priest brought him up, taught him the ways of the Lord, taught him how to hear the voice of God, and taught him the law of Moses and so forth. And here it says... Uh, in 1 Samuel 1.26, Hannah said to Eli, the priest, Excuse me, sir, do you remember me? I am the woman you saw standing here praying for the Lord. I asked him for this child, and he has given me what I asked for. And I am dedicating him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he will belong to the Lord. How powerful is that? Okay. And it says in verse 26 of chapter 2, The boy Samuel continued to grow and to gain favor both with the Lord and with people. And of course, uh, Samuel's mother dedicated him to the Lord. And Samuel not only grew physically, obviously being fed and all, but he also grew spiritually. He grew in favor and in grace with God and with people around him. And Samuel became a, uh, a mighty leader and impacted his generation in a very powerful, very powerful way. Um, and uh, it goes on to say in, in 1 Samuel 3, 13, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. You see, the Lord blessed Samuel tremendously. And I would like to suggest that when he was dedicated to the Lord, it gave God an access point into the life of this young man to create a starting point for God to be able to work with the boy uh, and to be able to bless him. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, dedicating children to God is by no means all that's required to ensure their success in life. However, as parents, we dedicate our children to the Lord to open a spiritual door into their lives that should be opened um, that God can use um, in, uh, you know, subsequent ways. You know, as adults, 
we invite God's blessing into our lives by accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and by living according to his, wor uh, to his written word. But, you know, young children don't know how to do that, so we do that for them. Very quickly now, in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, speaks about the dedication of Jesus Christ when he was brought to the temple uh, at age eight days. Um, that's when they brought these young boys uh, uh, to the temple in those days. And it says that when the time came uh, for Mary and Joseph to do what the law of Moses taught, and being made pure, they took, they took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And this is something that we're going to do very, very shortly. We have those children that will be dedicated, the parents, and a couple of instances, the grandparents, we present these children before the Lord. Now, God knows they're next door right now. All right, or wherever they are. Some of them are already here. But we want to, in a, in a kind of a ceremony, present them before the Lord and then dedicate them to the Lord to open up that door into their lives. Luke 2, uh, verse 40. Jesus grew. It became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God uh, was upon him. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. So right there, Jesus was dedicated to the Lord, presented to the Lord. And of course, uh, as I said before, children should not only grow physically and mentally, and we should not only teach them academically, but we should really teach them spiritually. Uh, you know, for a person to know and discern God's will for their lives uh, and to follow God's direction for them, uh, that's where success comes from, um, and that's something that we uh, do as best as we can. You know, in closing, the blessing of God can be seen on people's lives, and the lack of the blessing of God can also be seen on people's lives. I just want to read to you a uh, quick story um, that some of you have already heard before, but it kind of describes what we're talking about. You know, some people have uh, studied a family tree and uh, investigated, did research in regards to what's ever become of all of these people, generation after generation uh, and after generation. And there was careful search made into the history of one criminal family uh, known as the Jukes. And it revealed a long record of pauperism, criminality, insanity, prostitution, and drunkenness. A total of 120 descendants have been traced of this prolific, uh, prolific family tree. Some 400 of them were physically self-wrecked, 310 professional paupers, 130 convicted criminals, 60 habitual thieves, and pickpockets, and seven murderers. While out of the whole 120 of them, only 20 ever learned the trade, the half of them owed it to prison discipline. All right, so here's what a family looks like without the blessing of God. All right. Um, and uh, another study was done uh, to examine the descendants of a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Now, if anybody's done their church history, Jonathan Edwards uh, was an American theologian and a philosopher that lived in the 17th uh, century. 
Um, and his original sermons and writings stimulated the Great Awakening. Um, and of course, that became kind of a period of renewed uh, interest in the things of God, in the Bible, and you know, uh, going to church and so forth. Now, Jonathan Edwards was the son of a godly family. His father was a preacher, and before him, his, his mother's father also. Trace the history of uh, the preacher, uh, of the offspring of this godly man. More than 400 of them have been traced, and they included 14 university presidents, 100 professors, a hundred of them have been ministers of the gospel, missionaries, theological teachers. More than a hundred of them were lawyers and judges. Out of the whole number, 60 of them were doctors. And uh, there were many more who were authors of high ranks, editors of journals, and so forth. It says, in fact, almost every conspicuous American industry has had its, at its promoters one or more of the offspring of the Edward stock since the remote ancestor was married in the closing half of the 17th century. Now, it's quite a story contrasting those two families. And let me say this, uh, that sometimes families don't do well uh, without the blessing of God, yet some of them will try. So certain things that we can do, but certain things only God can do. And what we're doing today, we're opening up the door into the lives of children. And very shortly, I'll be asking to, uh, for the children, to, uh, for the parents to, to get their children and then to stand with me. And if your grandparents want to stand with your families, you're welcome to do so, but you don't have to. But watch out, because if you stand with them, I'll dedicate you as well to the Lord, and you belong to Him all the days of your life. All right. So, in closing, <laughs> child dedication itself does not constitute salvation for the child. Each person has to receive Jesus Christ for their own selves. And then secondly, child dedication is not christening. Uh, we don't christen children because we really don't see any scriptural basis for it. And in summary, we acknowledge that our children are a gift from the Lord. We give them back to the Lord and declare that it is our will for the children to live according to God's plan for their lives. And that's where we take responsibility as Christian parents, to bring up the child according to God's Word rather than according to worldly philosophies. And we ask for God's blessing, for His protection, and for His favor on the children all the days of their life. And in the process, um, I will be charging the parents, the caregivers, with the task of giving their children a Christian upbringing and biblical training. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.